welcome to NDIS Know How, a podcast series that asks, how can parents get the very best NDIS plan and ample funding to support their kid? This podcast is written and made by me, Melanie Dimmitt, the author of Special, Antidotes to the Obsessions that Come with a Child's Disability, and sponsored by HireUp, a disability platform connecting families like mine with top-notch support workers. This episode is a two-for-one deal. I chat with Stephanie Wicks and Sandy Golder, who are the founders of an organisation called Thrive Tribe & Co that supports families raising kids with disability. Just to help people and families, I suppose, find their healthy, happy place in a way where they can come to terms with any diagnosis and live a joyful, healthy, happy life. So that's basically what we do. Steph and Sandy are both mothers of two and are both raising daughters on the autism spectrum. Steph's six-year-old Charlotte, or Charlie, is autistic with a developmental coordination disorder. Sandy's 11-year-old Imogen, or Immy, is autistic and has ADHD and an intellectual disability. Sandy and Steph gave me so much goodness and, as such, I've split our conversation into two parts, so make sure you catch our next episode, which shares their tips on how to look after yourself as a parent navigating the NDIS. In this episode, we chat about how to advocate for your child when their disability is invisible or not immediately obvious. I start by asking Steph and Sandy what's the biggest challenge they face in getting the funding they need for their daughters. I think um, proving their disability, and I know that sounds crazy because, you know, it's when we see it, it's quite obvious. But, you know, for someone particularly like Charlie, um, Steph's little one, she masks. So if you didn't know her or didn't see the aftermath of her masking, and Steph can explain this in more detail, you wouldn't actually know. Like she just, she looks like her you know, a normal, beautiful little girl, but, you know, she'll mask all day at school and then comes home and blows up. Yeah. And it's so fascinating because, you know, we've got like Emmy and Charlie have the same diagnosis, autism, obviously slightly different levels, but they've both got the same autism diagnosis, yet their individual autism is so different. And um, I think that's one thing that the NJS just is struggling to kind of maybe adapt to what that looks like in the framework. Um, Charlie is like in a mainstream school. She's verbal. Um, she's doing amazing. Like I'm just so proud of her. She's a little rock star. Um, but yeah, it is so hard to get her what she needs. And I've realized looking back how important my advocacy in those early years was and continues to be now. If you meet one child with autism, you meet one child with autism. They're all so unique and different and all have different mm. um, triggers or needs or talents. Like, you know, lots of people look at Emmy and they're like, oh my God, like she just, she's so beautiful. She looked like, <laughs> she looks so normal, you know? And it's, it's not until they actually sit and watch her for a bit and can start to see my Imogen's um, behaviours show up very differently to Charlie's. So um, it does become quite obvious once you sit and you actually pay attention to her for a bit. But being able to prove that to someone from the outside, from the NDIA or, you know, fr- from whatever organisation does your planning meeting can be really tricky. Um, and to then be able to prove that, 
these behaviours or these needs are outside the normal scope of parenting, which is a phrase that likes to be thrown around a lot in our um, planning meetings, can be really tricky. According to Sandy and Steph, the best way to prove your child's needs is to be armed with reports from specialists and allied health therapists. For Steph, whose daughter Charlie only recently received her autism diagnosis, this was all the more crucial in the lead-up to her starting at a mainstream school. I actually had to source this amazing um, psychologist who specialised in high-functioning um, autistic girls, and I do air quotes very, you know, very boldly there with that level thing, but basically um, she watched her at her daycare for seven hours and took notes about, like, her social interactions and, you know, um, her transitioning from one thing to another, and it took that person to take the time in that space to give us a 50-page document that I could pass on to her school. Um, So that was a game changer for us, but not all families know that that's something, A, that you need to do or that's possible. Um, And that's, I suppose, the lengths, just showing the lengths that you have to go to in order to say that this child needs support. Um, I think as Steph has just talked about having those reports, that proof, like whatever you can get from whoever is involved in your child's care um, is really super important. So it can be things like if you have a speech therapist or an OT or a physio or a psychologist or whoever it is, um, doctors. So I've had my GP write write letters. Um, Pediatricians, you can get school staff to write letters or any if you use any disability services to support your family they can write they can write letters I was asked in my last review did I have any hospital reports or police documents um, to prove you know whether it had had to be admitted or any of us had had to be admitted due to her behavior so they're looking for very specific um, things so the more proof that you can have outside of your word um, is really helpful what yeah other advice do you guys have for parents, especially those with younger kids on the spectrum, when they're approaching the NDIA, when they're approaching NDIS planning meetings, how can they convincingly get across what their child's needs are to get the funding? Um, I think also being super clear on your child's goals because the NDIS fund goals, they don't fund therapies. So you've got to be super, super clear um, on the goals and also getting really, I feel like knowing your rights, knowing the legislation, knowing the language that the NDIA use um, and being able to use it back to them because they want you to prove that the goals are reasonable and necessary and a good value. <laughs> and I know this, like I actually find those terms really offensive because my daughter her development is very reasonable and necessary to me, but someone in an office can turn around and say, I don't think that's reasonable and necessary. I find that offensive. So I go in and am very, um, I try and look at it from the outside and use their language back to them. So prove to them why this is a good investment. NDIS is National Disability Insurance Scheme. So they want to ensure that they are making a good investment so they don't have to spend more money supporting your child later on and when you start looking at it from that perspective you can tailor what you're saying and how you're presenting things so you can show them why it's a good investment and 
um, how it's going to save them money later on and why it's reasonable and necessary for you to set these goals and ask for these things. As Steph points out, this is not stuff you're likely to know anything about prior to entering the NDIS space. It's, um, it's a total skill set. It really is. Like to understand like a like how the system works and then to use that language and then know that language and then to write goals around that is a complete skill set. And I think something really important to note as well is that so many of our families, like us included, you battle with like the emotional side of things as well, because at the end of the day, this is your child. This is like your love, you know, and um, to have to all of a sudden switch and talk about them like under a dollar value is quite confronting. Um, And I suppose if, yeah, it's about maybe compartmentalizing that emotion from what you need to do to get your child that support. And if you aren't in an emotional space to do that um, or to disconnect yourself, which is completely understandable, know that there are supports and systems out there to advocate for you um, so that your child can get what they need at that time. So I suppose it's knowing because they don't they don't give you this information on a platter and say this is here and do this and this is where it begins. Like they just don't tell you. Um, so equipping yourself with that knowledge and knowing that there is resources out there that can support your family is everything. When your kids' disability and needs are not immediately obvious, you really can't cut corners in your dealings with the NDIS. According to Sandy, this is not the time for playing down or glossing over any details of your family's life. Be super specific. You, you, sugarcoating yeah. does not help at all. Um, don't be afraid to like show your emotions and how it affects you and your family. Don't use metaphors. Like, like say it exactly how it is. They're going to want to hear about risks. So this is, unfortunately, this is how it's working now. So that's why they asked me for hospital reports and police documents. I basically had to prove that um, Imogen's behaviours were either a risk to her, a risk to the people around her or the community and being really specific about those risks. So, for example, Imi is an absconder, which means she'll run away from school or run away if we're out in the community, she will see something and she will run. It's not enough for me to say, um, Imogen, when we're out in the community, we'll see a shop and try to run to it without noticing danger. I need to say, Imogen will see a shop in the community, try and run across a road, a busy road with no knowledge of road rules and could get hit by a car she could also um you know cause us to be hit by a car because we're chasing after her like you've got to be that specific I know it sounds ridiculous but that's really how to the nitty-gritty you need to get because these people sit in the office and they don't have any understanding of what we go through on a daily basis so the more specific the better. Sandy and Steph tell me that as our kids get older advocating for their social lives becomes more and more important. I can't leave Imogen alone at a, like, I have to be on her at a park, which affects her ability to interact with other children because it's weird to have the mum hovering behind a 10-year-old who's almost as tall as me to make sure that she does the right thing and doesn't push anyone off a swing or down a slide or, you know, so, or go to a birthday party. Like, she will literally try and jump a fence. So we need to be on her all the time, which in developing relationships is really tricky so then there's a whole other area where you're like well 
how do we give her some space from her parents so she has the opportunity to develop relationships and friendships but still keep her safe and you know that's how we've been able to have Emmy build a support network around her with young fun support carers which is sort of like her buddies that go places with her that allows her to experience those social situations without the stigma of having the mum or the dad hovering over the top of her being able to be part of a community to interact to communicate like that is that is my number one wish for me is that she can just be loved as part of a community and have friendships and relationships um but then proving that importance to the NDIS and how she differs so much because it's subjective um you need to have evidence so we need to provide like all these specific examples for our situation Charlie will mask you know she'll go to a park or a birthday party whatever and um have a smile on her face and sit there and do the right things if anything she's like like listening to everybody yes okay yeah absolutely but then as soon as we leave she will freak out or as soon as she's back in her safe space she'll slam the door to her room and throw things and scream in her bed and we just have to let her have that now but I also would like to learn like or how does the world or how do we support her so that as she grows older and she's not like six or she's 16 in her room that she can access those social situations and have her mental health supported? Um, mm. I don't know, get those skills. But And then also how do you show that to the NDIS? Um, how do you compute that? Do you, How do you get evidence in that? So um, that's our struggle personally. But again, social making social connections for her is really hard. Like it's so hard for her to do. And she does it sometimes successfully, sometimes not. But um, yeah, that's one of our goals as well, just to be able to have a community of people that love her how, how she is without having to mask. What a dream that would be. The energy, admin and persistence required to get our kids the supports they need takes its toll. Not to mention the emotional weight of having to spend so much time focusing on your child's so-called deficits. It's taken me eight years to not bore my eyes out reading every report that comes back. In part two of my chat with Sandy and Steph, we explore how parents can advocate for themselves and their family as a whole to keep everyone's well-being in check. That's up next in episode six. A big thank you to Sandy and Steph for sharing their wisdom and also to my sponsor, Hire Up. Catch you again soon on NDIS Know How.